Well, good morning, Grace. Well, you've come to the right church, haven't you? Our men's ministry is helping the guys uh, with a father-daughter Valentine's Day. Uh, age appropriate. Uh, my daughter's around 60, and I would love a little packet that it would help me succeed on Valentine's Day this year. One in a row. Uh, hey, good morning. Anyway, uh, we're on a quest together. This is a series that we're doing is we're out to change our lives to glorify God. That's the nature of, of our existence. Uh, life fully lived is to the glory of God. And so uh, we're in a series and we're setting goals for ourselves, body, soul, and spirit, and are, are working together with each other to change. You know, this, uh, I've got some uh, physical goals and, you know, you know, kind of have an identity as an athlete. Things were going pretty good this week for me. Hope, hope it worked for you. I was eating right, got some exercise cycles in there. And then, um, well, and then there was this ding dong. There's just this, I go to the door and there's this little thing at the door about this tall. And she has pulled a wagon up on my porch. And I, and she, I mean, she was cute enough and everything, but she, she had to, she had all her lines memorized. And um, I don't remember exactly what she said, but here's what I heard. She said, you know who I am. I own you. Now get out your wallet. And I said, athlete now, I don't want you at my house anymore. But I only said that in my mind. And so what I did say is I said, I'll take two boxes of those caramel coconut things. And I looked at her and her mom and I said, don't come back here again until next week. The girl was a little rattled by the experience. The mom was laughing. She went away. And I looked at these two boxes. Athlete, what am I doing with these? And I thought, you know what? It's cheat day. I mean, you, once a week, you get a cheat day. And uh, this tr- the whole thing is a true story. Ate the whole box, <laughs> the entire box, because I thought, I got, it's a cheat day. And I thought, now I'm an athlete that ex- it's exceedingly good on cheat day. So anyway, so starting tomorrow, New week, new week. Anyway, uh, it's a true story. I was, I was that close to having a week in a row. Uh, we're, the series is called Reboot. And we're just like, we're restarting. We're thinking and we're living biblically inside the culture. We're not afraid of the culture. We're gonna go into the culture and we're gonna live that way courageously. So we're in our fifth week of a, I think a seven, yeah, seven week series. The series is becoming more and more practical. It was philosophical at the beginning and now it's brass tacks kind of stuff. As a matter of fact, if you want to learn how to apply, you know, even today's lesson, you can go across the hall to our old auditorium and there'll be discussion groups on how to apply today's lesson. Next week, the central teaching team is going to be part of that. Uh, you, don't, you don't have to RSVP or you can just go to that. Next week at 11 o'clock, central teachings team will be in the old auditorium applying the passages or the, the lessons that we've learned so far. Today, um, more purpose-driven, you know, like application-driven sermon, and we're going to look at uh, starting our goals and and what those goals look like. Um, And and like when we talk about body, soul, spirit, just for the record, we're using body. We're not trying to get the church in shape, but what we find is 
the, the way of, of having physical goals and reaching those physical goals is a metaphor for soul and spiritual goals. The Bible does this. It uses the body as an example so that we can demystify soul change. Sometimes we over-spiritualize how we can change our soul and spirit, and so the Bible comes in and says, no, just, it's, you, you can set physical goals, right, sure. Lose some of your COVID weight or run a half marathon, right. What you're going to need to do that Let's look at soul. So soul goals would be becoming less critical and judgmental towards over other people. Uh, overcoming maybe some old memories or some old programming, like fear. I mean, there's nothing that sucks the life out and happiness out of life faster and more pervasive than fear. Where does that come from? Well, you know, find that source out and see how you might change that. In a way of looking at goals, I have found myself to ask this question. What would I look like without fear? Who would I become? In the context of spirit, you know, one, one thing that nags many of us is just our pride. What would I look like? What would I look like without pride? What would I, who would I be if I, were, if I had the humility of Jesus Christ absolutely playing its way out. Another goal that I have, at least for the spiritual part of my life, is I want to hear God's voice, and I want to respond to that. So, I mean, before we move on to the big blackboard here, the question is, do you want to get well? It's right out of the Bible. Do you want to get well? Do you want to change your life for the glory of God? Here's how, and this is where we pick up from last week. This is like our little helpful tool about how to change a life. It starts with the, with the values that there's like three layers of, of change. And the first layer has to do with goals. And the goals are what you get, right? So you could have a goal to, I don't know, have enough money to buy a bike. If this is the way you're living life, then you're gonna raise, you know, save that money to buy the bike and then you're done, but there's no life change. A second layer of, of change is, is having hope in systems or disciplines, the means of making that done, doing those things, just the discipline sometimes of just like going to the gym. But if you're just trying to do that and, and you end with systems, it doesn't end in life change. You can see this in uh, college athletes, right? So they, they, they lift weights, work out, they do their sport for four years, they're committed to the discipline of that, they graduate, and then they let their bodies go completely, gone. And, and why is that? Because they weren't an athlete, they were a college athlete that were committed to the systems or the disciplines of staying in school and maybe even keeping that scholarship. And then the third, the third inner, inner circle is intrinsic. It is inside working its way out. And the most effective ways of life change is, is to start from the end and work out. As a matter of fact, if you, the most effective way of getting your goals is not to start at your goals, but to start at this. And this, is, this, this idea is identity. The word is identity. Identity. Who you are. Who you are. You start there. You change. Like, who do you want to be? Who do you ascribe to be? And then how are you going to get there? The, the metaphor was athlete. I'm going to be an athlete. I'm going to eat like an athlete. I'm going to drink like an athlete. I'm going to work out like an athlete. I'm going to do these systems and achieve these goals. I'm not working towards the goals because if I hit the goal, I'll stop doing the discipline. I'll stop being that identity. So 
to work from the inside out is the way to get things done. So this, this idea of three uh, levels or, or, or um, I guess, inside out sort of thing is in a great book called Atomic Habits. Uh, one of the, one, a couple of the, of the examples they use in a, that author uses in atam, Atomic Habits is he talks about someone trying to quit s- smoking cigarettes and, and goes up to a person and's like, would you like a cigarette? No, I'm trying to stop. That was their goal, is to try to stop. A person that understands the power of intrinsic motivation working its way out says, no, my identity, no, I'm not a smoker. Smoker, non-smokers don't smoke. And so the, the line that this person was repeating back and forth to themselves, I'm not a smoker, therefore I don't do these things. This person is just hoping to get through another day without a cigarette and, and just living for those goals. Uh, he uses the word uh, savings. I want to have some money. This person is just trying desperately to do the systems. This person says, I'm a saver, not a spender. When you start convincing yourself, unfortunately, like neuroplasticity and psychiatrists and psychologists are saying, you can talk yourself into believing a lot of different things. Like pain doctors will tell you, quit telling yourself you're in pain all the time because you're convincing yourself that's your identity. So working your way from your identity outwards, it ends up getting you the goals, but, but the goals keep getting better and better because you've developed a whole different like, personality. So the point is, the, the most effective way of achieving goals and developing habits is to start from the inside working its way out. Now, that's great in psychology, but it's been part of the Bible plan all along. In the Bible, it starts right here with identity. And we're looking at Romans, particularly 12, verses 12, 1 and 2. But, if, but it starts with identity because in, 12, in chapter 12 of Romans, verse 1, it says, therefore. And therefore is based on everything that you've heard in Romans chapters 1 through 3, or ch- chapters 1 through 8, but particularly 3 through 8, where it just says, look, this is who you are. In a chapter 8, it says, you, you, respe- you have not received a spirit of, of slavery that brings you back to fear. No, no, no. You've, you've been given a, a spirit of adoption that has your soul crying out to God, the Holy Father, and calling him Abba, Daddy. As a matter of fact, the spirit calls out to your spirit that you're part of, you're an heir. You're a co-heir a fellow heir with Jesus Christ himself. There, he is declaring that to be true. That's just a fact. That's the way things, that's the way things work. That's the way you are. And so the rest of, of your Christian life is trying to live up to what's already been declared true. And how does that happen? Well, it happens by trying to convince yourself in the way you think. Okay. Thinking, you uh, do not be conformed, that's 12.2. Do not be conformed to this world. That's what we tend to do. We, we tend not to believe this. Do not think uh, like things of this world, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And we're renewing our mind to believe that we have this identity. And so, you know, like it says in Corinthians, we are demolishing arguments. We're taking every thought captive so that we can obey the, the, the declarations of who we are. Every thought is contributing to this identity, or it's not. Another way the Bible teaches us to validate our identity that's already true is behavior, is how we behave. 
how we behave. Romans 12, 1 said, by the mercies of God, therefore, by the mercies of God, my brothers and sisters, okay, present your bodies, this, as a living sacrifice. Show the world, prove to yourself in your actions the way you behave is validating and encouraging the identity that already exists. And so you just, you just do it, you know? And I know some of you might, oh, so what you're saying here is, it's like you fake it till you make it. No, I'm not saying that because there's no faking. You are declared a child of God, perfect, no condemnations, fully justified. That's the truth. Now do it. I mean, if there's a fake until you make it, it's you, you're behaving sinful and that's a lie. Um, Aristotle said, uh, what you practice, you become. That's some truth to that. But like the Bible would say, you've already become that. You are that, now practice what you've become. Not what you practice you become, but you've become that, now practice that. So the, this model here, the power of the model is that, that what, it builds on itself. What you think contributes to how you behave and how you behave contributes to how you think. And it just keeps going around, all around the identity. Every thought you have, is a vote towards your identity. Every behavior you produce is a vote towards, it could be a micro vote, it's a small activity, but it's a vote towards the identity that you're part of. And the power of this movement here is that it, all you have to do is, is, is hope for a 1% change over a period of time and it just keeps compounding 1% over three, five, 10, 20 years, you're becoming like Christ in all of your life. But the warning is, and you should be afraid of this, that it can go the other way too. It feeds on itself in both directions. You think poorly, you'll behave poorly, you behave poorly long enough, you'll think poorly, and it's none of this is contributing to your identity. And when people have the doubts about who they are in Christ or even have doubts about their salvation, you look at their lifestyle and you go, how are you thinking? How are you behaving? What's going on in your life? No wonder. All of those micro votes and maybe some big votes contributing to something that's not true. Grieving the spirit of God and the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for all that that, that accomplished. So we're still in review. We mentioned that and how it can go either way. And then we said, well, wait a minute. There's something going on here. God's not leaving us alone just with this. He's given us the power of the Holy Spirit. If you remember, this is one of the most important passages in the New Testament, mostly ignored. The way you become a child of God is the same way that you become God's perfect child. The way you become God's child is the same way you become God's perfect child. It says in Galatians chapter 3, right? You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Are you so foolish? After begin, beginning with the spirit, right, right here, are you now trying to achieve your goal through human effort? Are you trying to perfect yourself with the flesh, other translations say? That's, <laughs> that doesn't work. It can't work. Because that would end up giving you the glory for life change. And by the way, you're up against things that you can't overpower. And so the power of the Holy Spirit is going to spin this. If you listen, you know, if you're hearing his voice, 
If you're obeying his call for your life, then that can help you start thinking right. And if that's not working for you, you can call upon the spirit to help me behave right. And this thing, and this, this, I don't know, cycle, this uh, flywheel, if you know what that is, automotives, this flywheel just keeps spinning more and more. The more you do it right, the easier it becomes in many respects. So in my, in my, I'll just show you, share some of my stuff in my body, soul, spirit goals. Uh, like I'm doubt that you care about this, but uh, my, one of my physical goals is to start practicing more diligently the physical therapy that's requiring me because I have a, I had my, my balance nerve cut. And so I've got to do certain skills, but one of the things I keep saying poorly, and you can talk yourself into anything because you find yourself in these ruts. I keep telling people I'm dizzy all the time. Well, quit saying that because you're convincing yourself you are. No, no, no. I'm getting better every day. That's true too. I'm getting better every day because I'm going to practice these things and I'm going to think right about it and I'm going to practice. It's one of my, it's it's petty. I'm just using that as an example for other stuff. On on a soul level, what I'm going to work on with identity and thinking and behaving is I think it's time for me to get a lot deeper in dealing with the grief of my father's life and my father's death. It's kind of showing up. It's time to go deeper still. It's scary. And so my identity in Christ as a new creature is going to help me think right and behave right as, as I work through it. And one of my spiritual goals is the humility of Jesus Christ lives within me. <laughs> He's trapped in trying to get out. And so I should be able to uh, confess, take responsibility for sin and ask forgiveness more easily. One of the things I'm going to work on and I'm going to have that identity in Christ that I'm justified and there's no condemnation. And so I'm going to think that way and I'm going to behave that way. And I'm going to think that way. And I'm going to ask the spirit of God to energize this and empower this. So... Those are just like how, how, just using my example, because those are the ones I know. The the question for you is, do you want to (laughs) change? Do you want to get well? This is a way of doing that. This is a biblical way of changing a life. There's one more factor that we haven't talked about. It's right here. Friendship. Friends. I would say friends for purpose, the right kinds of friends. You know, last, the friends can spin this along with the spirit of God. It's the idea of community and camaraderie. When we looked at, uh, we looked at a passage last week, and I want you to just remember that Paul, again, he's doing what we're doing today, and that is he's going to try to take away the, like, the, the, the mystical nature of soul and spirit change, and he's just going to coach Timothy. This is a pastoral epistle, so he's coaching him like one of his, like one of his players. I was going to say students, but one of his players. And you look at the vocabulary he uses. It's all physical. And then he flips it and says, no, 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 so much more so for soul and spirit issues. So here's the passage in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Look, train yourselves in godliness for while physical training has some value, godliness is valuable in every way, holding promise both in the present and in the life to come. So for, for to do this, we toil and we struggle because we have our hope set on a living God who is our savior of all people, especially those who believe. And so Paul's using kind of hard, I don't know what you call it, uh, 
violent, I guess, words. You know, he says train, that word mean, that word in Greek is gymnasium. He says physical training, which means uh, in our vocabulary, would say train until you have muscle memory. And then he gets ugly. He says labor, toil, strive. And then finally he leaves with agony. It's going to lead to agony. If that's true in your physical transformation, he's saying so much more is your, your metaphysical transformation. Your, your metaphysical transformation is so much more important. It's good for this life and in the next, but it's probably going to be a whole lot harder as well. I'll tell you this. If you want to change physically, you're going to need a partner. You're going to need to join a team. You're going to need to be part of a tribe of people that are trying to physically change in the same way. I mean, like the secret weapon of getting in shape is to team up. That's all there is to it. If you, if you want to get in shape and stay in shape, you're going to need to be around people that will encourage you to keep on running, keep on pushing. You're going to need a group of people that when you want to quit, they don't let you quit. <laughs> Whatever works for you, me, they make fun of me. And they don't let me, they don't let me quit. So in, in, at least in lifting weights or working out, whatever it might be, whatever sport it is, you'll find this to be true. It's a saying, the worst workout with a partner is better than the best workout all by yourself. The worst workout with a partner is going to be better than the best workout all by yourself. Because when you work out by yourself, you plateau, you stall, you give up. You don't challenge yourself. So much more so for your soul and spirit. You, you plateau, you stall, you give out. You can't be left alone. I mean, look, look, look at this just one little video clip of a small little point guard changing the life of his center, UCLA. Center just missed a rebound. The other team got their point. And this little point guard comes over to him and says, no, no, no. No, no, no. You know what he's saying? He's saying, hey, you're an athlete. And, you know, here's one of the things about athletes. They learn to lose and they learn to forget what they, they learn from that loss and then they move on. You need to get back in this game. The team needs you. That's a basketball lesson. That's a life lesson. That's he's teaching them how to live. Get your head back up. Let's go. That's what, it, that's what it means to be part of a team. When you can't do something by yourself, you need to find people that will do it and then join that tribe, that group, that team, join that friendship. That's, that's, that's how life works. I mean, there's a little, kind of a funny story. It's a long time ago, 1991. I was the youth pastor here. There were a, a number of guys that said, hey, we want to get in shape. And I said, go join a gym. And they said, yeah, we've never been to a gym and we're kind of embarrassed. We feel like we need to get in a certain amount of shape before we can go to the gym. And I said, completely understand. I did it myself when I was your age. So we all pulled our resources. We bought a bunch of weights and I opened a gym, Matt's gym. There it is. If you, can, if you look closely, you can see that we never had a leg day, not once. I've been... <laughs> One of my life goals is to go 50 years without ever doing a single leg exercise. And that was part of our gym uh, motto. And it worked. And the point of it was like we encouraged each other. We yelled at each other while we were in Matt's gym lifting weights. And we took people to places they wouldn't go. If they didn't show up, guess what? We yelled at them then too. Yelling was our love language uh, to get in shape. 
Point is, you want to get in shape? You join a team, a tribe. You find some friends that'll do that with you. Training in godliness. How much more then? How much more important is this? How much harder is the toil and the agony? Here's what the New Testament says. Friendships of accountability, mutual encouragement, confession, reprimands, challenge. It's indispensable in training in godliness. Most of what is going to need to happen based on your identity in the context of behaving is going to be scary. You're going to have to overcome fear. It's going to be humiliating. You're going to have to overcome shame. And, and sometimes your thinking isn't there and your behaving wants to be there and you just need someone to push you off the high dive. You ever push anyone off the high dive? It's not necessarily shameful. You just push them off the high dive. They come up and they go, I did it. And you go, yeah, you did, didn't you? In the context of maturity, you just pull out a phone and say, here's the phone, now apologize. And then they do it and then, I did it, I apologize. <laughs> right. And someone had to push them off the high board. Someone had to dial the phone. Someone had to call them every two days. Have you confessed that yet? No? Okay, don't make me call your boss because I will. Friday at three o'clock and then I'm calling. And then you call it 2.50 and then you said, I did it. <laughs> and it's like, you did, didn't you? That's how it works. Training in godliness sometimes requires a push off the board. Simply put, you can't, you can't arrive at the destination God has for you to become like Christ in all of life without a friend, a friend with purpose, friends with that same purpose. One of the wisest professors I ever had, 1985, said, you are a product of what you read and the friends that you have. Very difficult to argue with that, what you read and the friends that you have. And he said this, for good or for bad. Because what you think, he's talking about this. He's, you know, one, of, one of the things he's mentioning here is friends can spin you this way, can't they? Can't they? How many Proverbs in the Old Testament are written about choosing the right friends? Birds of a feather. What you read and who you befriend, he's like he would say, I'll tell you what your future looks like. Now, I want, I want you to see that today, what does that mean? That was 1985. What does that mean today? What do you read? Who are your friends? What do you read the most? Newspapers? Nah, people don't read newspapers. It's how much time you spend in some kind of media. Tweets, Twitters, you know, little websites. Here become what you read. And that becomes your friendship group. That becomes your tribe, your bubble. It constantly reinforcing because of the algorithms that are pushing it towards you. And you, you start having, you have these cycles like this, but it's going the wrong way. So it's so prevalent now that psychologists have a name for it. It's called faction friendships. Faction friendships. 
where you start kind of generating this with you. Think about, think about people that are like super vax. Everybody needs to get a vaccine regardless of their health or what their doctor says. Or people that are anti-vaxxers, right? No one needs to get this. It kills everyone, right? It's like, how do those people get that way? Well, I'll tell you how. They get in, 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 in a faction friendship that keeps reinforcing their values. Masks, they solve all the problems in the world. Why is anyone wearing a mask? That's stupid. How does that happen? How does it become so divisive? Because the nature of faction friendships are us and them. And psychologists will tell you the, the, the problem with faction friendships is their power. They have power, they're dangerous because they, they cause a community to form. And it's like now, it, like it's us and we all believe the same thing now. And, and it gives them, them a purpose, community with purpose. Then they start getting an identity based on that. They're especially dangerous because they're seriously dedicated to like extraordinarily dedicated to their conformity. And so you are one tweet, you are one text away from getting kicked off the cool kids table. If you just kind of come up and say, well, wait a minute, maybe sometimes it's good or sometimes it's not bad. And then it's like, you're off the shelf. Guys, we see this in churches. We see this in home groups where they get in these faction groups and you can tell they're listening to the same group of people. They're all starting to sound the same. It's all starting to become us and then because you're a product of what you read and who you befriend. And what you read is tweets and Twitters and you know, like these, these feedings. And then like, you're not part of a church anymore. You're part of a, a faction clique. I mean, we have literally prayed for some groups that like, a tipping point, too many perfectionists and idealists in one home group, and they just start feeding on negative stuff, on, on just the things that aren't working, how the church isn't serving them in the last two weeks. And we just pray, dear God, break at least one or two of those off, and they'll be banned by the group, sure, but they'll be free. Friendship for goodness, it is... I, I, it's so obvious, but it, 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 I feel like it's, 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 the, it's the secret weapon for godliness. It, it is the primary means in many respects of what makes people happy or sad. Because the power of community for, for good, it can absolutely change lives. So if you want to change your life, you certainly want to change in the context of what we've done before. That's last week, identity, behavior, thinking. But if you want to change your life, you got to change your friends. You've got to change your tribe, you, the, the group you hang around with. I mean, dozens and dozens of studies have proven this to be true. Non-Christian, secular is the day of long, that if you're in the right group of people, performance goes up, creativity, problem solving, energy levels, immune systems. But can I just tell you, three of the most effective organizations in the world right now, Alcoholics Anonymous, Celebrate Recovery, Weight Watchers. You know, I have, you know I have why they have such a huge success rate? Who's your, fill in the blank, who's your, anyone? Who's your sponsor? Who's your sponsor? They're all community driven. They sit in a circle together. They're all kind of like have the same goal, body, soul, and spirit, the CR, celebrate recovery, 
same soul and spirit goals. And they go like, and then they have this, like, I have friends of accountability. They're going to spin me in the right direction. I want to do something stupid. I'm not going to let you. I'm thinking stupid thoughts. I'm going to stop you. I'm going to remind you who you are in your identity in Christ. That's why they have so much power. And even secular atheists go, wow, I'm going to have to send you to Alcoholics Anonymous. Don't believe them, but boy, they work. Boy, do they work. Old Testament, wisest man in the Old Testament says this about friendships. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend is able to help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they'll keep each other warm. But how can one keep warm all alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. So I hope I've explained to you the power of friendships. I hope I've proved to you the need for purposeful friendships for the good thing. I want to do now is tell you how. How to become and find a good friend. One. Stop being, stop bad friendships. Stop being bad. You're going to have to pray about this. Stop bad friendships and stop being bad. It, the hardest part is to start anew. Negativity is absolutely contagious. Again, that perfectionistic criticism and uh, unhappiness is infectious. Fear, it spreads like a virus. But so does optimism. So does love. And so you got to surround yourself with people that bring out the attributes of Christ that are already in you. And to do that, sometimes you have to make a clean break. And to make that clean break, you'd better pray. It's going to take an extreme amount of courage to change. It's going to take courage to change and move out. Especially if you're in a faction. Well, it'll only last about a week. They'll kick you out and not take your mail again. Second step is loneliness. Doesn't always follow breaking up and finding new friends, but quite often, quite often, when you break away, like nothing works without a relationship and there's no relationships that aren't in, involved that where loneliness is not involved. Loneliness is like a tuition that you pay towards great friendships. It's this in-between like wasteland that you must endure to be by yourself, to be refined, to be the type of person another, another godly person wants to spend time with. Where you're like learning how to be alone without being lonely. You're learning to absolutely depend upon God independent of other people. There's a real coming to Jesus moment here. And being alone in a crowd, that makes it so much worse. And you're just like, and in that moment, in that wilderness, it's the nature of, of discipleship. In that wilderness, like Israel coming out of Egypt, you're going to have to decide, are you going to reflect back on your memories and go, gosh, I wish I were back in Egypt where we had free food. Free? You had free food and it was fun. And when people are in this context of I'm going I'm to make a change and I'm going to choose new friends, they think back and they go, man, I miss those old times. Only remembering the times without costs. You want to go back to Egypt? No. The other thing that happens in loneliness, you know, it, it again, it draws you to depend, absolute dependence on Christ. But on the downside, it, it makes you want to go back to Egypt. And another one, it's just this feeling like if I'm feeling all of this 
pain and suffering, and, and what hitchhikes on loneliness is sometimes depression and guilt, you kind of say, well, I deserve the sin. If, you know, if I'm going to be here and, you know, I can't find a friend, it's been two weeks, I'm going to do whatever I want. But that's, that's part of the refining is not going there, not starting the cycle in the bad way. Elizabeth Elliot says, There's, that's where faith begins, in the wilderness. When you are all alone and all afraid and when things don't make sense. One person said, pain, and I would add, I would just insert loneliness. Pain, loneliness is proof that your prayers are being answered. <laughs> pain is proof that your prayers are being answered. So when I say part two, loneliness, you better pray. You, you need to pray through that winter. The loneliest times I have ever had, just crying myself to sleep for months on end, led to four of the best friends that I had for life when I was in grad school. And that was the tuition I paid. The third thing, right, right you, is that you got to remember your new identity and start thinking and doing like that. You recalibrate and you say, this is the new me. This is the way the new me thinks. This is the way I'm going to behave. And here's why. Because friendships are made along the way. Let me just say this again. Friendships are made along the way. You don't sit at home and say, friends, come to me. You don't like go to like places and hope a friend comes up to you. Here's how they work. You're doing the work that you would be doing. And then someone is just running a parallel track with you. In other words, you just start, you start serving and guess what happens? You start serving, and a part of your identity is being a generous person with your life. You start serving in the children's ministry. You know what you're going to find in the children's ministry? Other people that are really generous with their time, and they don't have a lot of pride where they can get on the ground and play with a kid, even though they run a country, a, comp a company or something. Like, it doesn't matter their wealth level. It doesn't matter their status somewhere. Maybe they run an entire school district, but they're down there playing with a kid. Well, that's a good person to be around, not a, you know pompous person. It's like, so you start behaving, you start doing those things, you start serving, you start caring, you run around, you're going to run yourself into friends that are caring servant people and they think the right ways. And then it's like, and here's what C.S. Lewis says in his book on four loves, one of his loves is friendship. He says, and then it just kind of happens where you're talking to someone in the context of service and you say, wait, you too? You, you like those things as well? Well, me too. Let's go grab lunch. Next thing you know, you say, well, I want to change some of the things in my life. I've been without any kind of significant friends of forgiveness in months. I feel like maybe God might have brought us together. Let's consider life together. You do this, we'll do this together. You look at examples of uh, one of the most famous uh, friendships in the Bible, Jonathan David. Jonathan wasn't looking for David. David wasn't looking for Jonathan uh, Forgive me if you don't know the story, but Jonathan's, David's just telling the story of him killing Goliath and Jonathan's going, oh dude, I want to be friends with you because Jonathan's got war stories of themselves. They were just doing life together, two great warriors, proud of their nation, even more proud of Yahweh, their God. And they just look at each other like, let's be friends for life. Pity the man who doesn't have a, a friend that can pick him up. But you know what? If you fall down, a friend will pick you up. And Jonathan picked up David multiple times. Uh, uh, Ruth and Naomi, how did they find each other? They were just living life together. And then your family's my family. Your people's my people. Your God's my God. Just happens. <laughs> 
find, find in the Bible, Old or New Testament, a thriving saint that did it all by themselves, a lone ranger. You find that person and I'll prove to you that Joseph is the exception that proves the rule. There are no lone rangers. And if you think you can live, if you can get to the destination without being part of a tribe, a group, a couple of very good friends with purpose, you're mistaken. That's not God's plan for your life. You can't get to where God wants you to go without going with someone else. So here's how we apply today. Have you defined, have you believed in the new identity that you have in Christ? Study that. Think on those things. Have those thoughts compel your behavior. Have the behavior compel your thinking. Bring in the Holy Spirit in the midst of this living the life that Christ has for you. And now choose friends. Go to where those righteous people are. I would highly recommend that you join an adult community, that you join our men's ministry, our women's ministry, our youth ministry. I would ask you to significantly consider serving in some way. If you're just holding a door open, you'll be standing next to someone else that couldn't care less about being a doorman or doorwoman for the glory of God. You go to a church and serve, you're already in a group of people that love Christ and his bride and wants to serve in any way possible. You're cleaning toilets too? Me too. What kind of gloves do you use? I use these rubber gloves. Well, me too. Maybe we should go to lunch. Find a way to live life together. There it is. If you go to the connections desk out in the lobby, right outside, just go, do, go out the door, do you turn boom. There's somebody to talk to you about that. This is the call to action. Do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? It's not a mystery. It starts from the inside out about what's already taken place. And now it's just thinking and behaving by the power of the spirit. There ought to be miracle stories in your life. This is a God thing. And I'm surrounded by a band of brothers that will pick me up when I fail. So what's your prayer today? Where do you start? Well, let's start with prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, we lift up this to you and we ask, um, first of all, just maybe just in a, an epiphany that uh, some members here just don't understand the power of friendship and, and they've got good friends, but they're not great friends and they're not friends of purpose. They're not friends that want to help them, like knock them off a high board to help them become like Christ in all of their lives. Won't confront them won't encourage them in the Lord. So Lord, I'd ask that we'd see that need. And then second, Lord, there's some people here I, that they're in the wilderness right now. They've chosen to follow you and they're doing their time in the wilderness. Lord, give them patience, long suffering, endurance. And I'd ask that they would see the friends that will come their way if they, if they <laughs> do not grow weary and being lonely. <laughs> Lord, bring people to them soon. And Lord, I, there's some people here that are just strong in their friendships and maybe they need to expand. Look outside their little covey of four people and make it a covey of five. 
Maybe bring someone else in. Lord, I'd ask that you would open our eyes to the people on our row, down the aisle, in the lobby, that your spirit would speak to ours and we'd go make a conversation start, that we might be part, we might be that friend, that Jonathan, that David, to that poor soul that's come in the door that wants to start over. Let's be a church of people with open hearts towards new friendships. Lord, bless our church for your glory. Help us change our lives for your glory. Help us glorify you by living a life that's fully alive, full of laughter and tears, but full of joy. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.